Hey, this is Anthony, and I'm the host of What They Did Not Teach You in School, the podcast that interviews people to get their wisdom recorded so that hopefully you could learn some things that are not taught in school, but should be taught in school. I'd like to remind people that a lot of the things talked about on this podcast relate to investing and finance. The purpose of talking about these subjects are to hopefully inform people and educate them on financial literacy and to entertain people with some do's and do nots. This is not to be considered financial advice. Before trying anything that you learn on the podcast, be sure to consult a professional. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of What They Didn't Teach You in School. Today is episode 42, and we have Rochelle here with us today. Um, I'm really excited about this episode because a lot of people in our network have been asking us not just about how do we grow a business from a financial perspective, but also how do we grow our business from a marketing perspective to acquire new customers, get more brand awareness and market ourselves so that we can grow our revenue. And how do we do that at each stage of the business cycle? So I'm really excited to have you on today. Thank you for coming. Thanks so much for inviting me. I love talking about all things marketing and especially there's been so many changes in the D2C space over the last three years, lots of ups and downs. So I'm excited for us to get get into it and like dig deep into all your questions. Likewise, likewise. And before we get started, I'm just going to have a uh, word from our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Creator Club. Uh, Creator Club is a marketplace that allows brands and creators to get aligned in order to scale a brand's content marketing. And I want to thank Valentina behind the uh, behind the camera today for all her work. Um, couldn't do it without you. All right, Rochelle, before we get into like any kind of details today, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, how did you get into marketing? Did you know that you wanted to be in marketing from an early age? What sparked that interest or passion that you have? Sure. So um, ever since I was young, I always knew I wanted to do something related to business, but have an element of creativity. And I was always really good at like psychology and studying what's happening in society. And so marketing just became a natural path for me to take. Honestly, it was either marketing or interior design, and I think I chose well. So <laughs> uh, I went down the marketing path, but I've been doing this for the last 14 years. Uh, I've worked at global organizations. I've worked in finance. I've worked in food and beverage at McDonald's. I worked at Shopify. Um, and over the last two years, I've been consulting and working as a fractional CMO and consultant for tech companies and D2C brands. That's amazing. What made you make that shift to going out on your own versus working in like uh, a corporation or a business? Well, I think I've been doing corporate for so long. It was 12 years of being in the corporate world and it was great. And at that time I thought that's what I wanted, you know, climb the ladder, go to the next step. I was learning a lot from being at these massive organizations and it was an incredible experience, but I always knew I was going to venture off and do my own thing anyway. And so I think ending up at Shopify, that was the best launching pad for me because I was surrounded by entrepreneurs and I was working with entrepreneurs and it was just the natural next step for me to take. And did you, was that a hard decision for you? No. No? No. Just ripped it. And well, did you it. know why? Because we went through COVID, right? So right. you had a lot of time and I had a lot of time to sit there and reflect and think, is this how I want to spend my days? What do I want to do? What kind of people do I want to work with? What projects do I want to work on? What am I really good at? And so during that time, having a lot of time reflecting is when I was like, yeah, this is the right thing for me to do. I'm going to take that leap. And it's turned out to be really great. So how long have you been doing that for now? Just 
over two years now. Wow. Yeah. And this is a very... I'm int- clapping for myself. <laughs> you made it two years. is not is not an easy feat. A lot of people would have quit by now. So that's no. good. Well, you know what it is, is if you... And I, this is like, I'm kind of diverting the questions in the podcast for a second. But if you're thinking of trying something, always give yourself a timeline. Mm-hmm. And if you nail your goals within that timeline and things are going well, then continue. And if not, then change your path. And so that's what I kept putting in front of myself was different markers. And I kept hitting those goals and it just felt like the right thing to do. I love that. Uh, How did you learn how to like structure yourself as a CMO? Did you take a course or something like that? Or did you learn it on your own? Yeah. I mean, like I, because I've been in the marketing space for so long and I've worked at different organizations, I've done all sorts of marketing from consumer insights to social media, to web, to like literally every end to end marketing. And so um, and I've also built teams as well. And so it just felt like the national, natural, natural progression for me is I noticed in the market, there's a lot of businesses that can't afford to have a head of marketing full time. They can't right. afford to give them equity. They can't afford to pay them the bonuses, but they need that person. And that's where my skill set comes in is I have the right soft skills and the hard skills to work with these startup founders and say, let me take this off your plate. You are, you know, chief product officer or operations person or CEO. You don't need to be worrying about marketing. I'll take that from you and I'll work on marketing. I'll help you build a team and help you get your go-to market strategy ready. I think it's so useful. As you probably know, uh, I'm a fractional CFO and I work between 13 different businesses in varying degrees. Some at a higher degree, some on a very low degree. And I've been doing that for three years now. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, and I advise a lot of my uh, clients to get, fractional CMOs because I think it's so important to have someone who's competent, experienced, and accountable as like a strategist, like oversee the marketing department of a diff- of a company. Yeah. And you really don't need a full-time CMO no. until <clears throat> maybe 7 million, 10 million a year of revenue, I think, depending on the company. Yeah. And, uh, but you do need somebody who's experienced because a lot of uh, startups either use someone who's junior or hasn't been there to like lead the marketing team. Yeah. Um, just because it's like affordable to hire them full time to oh, like for do sure. it, right? Yeah, and then that's where you see um, an issue oftentimes because they'll say, "We have an amazing executor, but this person needs guidance. Right. They need support. They're often doing too many things at once. They're not focusing on the right things that are going to move the needle." And so that's where if you bring in a fractional person like me to say, "Hey, you guys are doing ten different things. Maybe we should only focus on four. And yeah. then with these four, this is how we're going to branch out, and that's where the focus goes. Exactly. Why don't real quick? Why don't you tell us for people that don't know what does a fractional CMO do? Yeah. So a fractional CMO is essentially someone that you will hire on a part-time basis. They're not a full-time employee. They're a consultant that'll work with your organization. Their role is to come in and lead your marketing and make sure that your business is accelerating and that your marketing is growing. Oftentimes there's different services that'll come in under a fractional CMO. So for example, for me, I lead the teams, but then I also help with hiring and bringing in the best resources, bringing in freelancers, Um, And essentially, you're basically handing the keys to an honorary team member that gives you a limited amount of time per month that they work with you. Amazing. Thank you. So um, a a lot of our uh, followers, um, they are entrepreneurs themselves. They run e-commerce companies, professional services companies, product companies, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have been listening to the podcast in order to learn more about like what's the latest in marketing and how can I like use these tips in order to scale my business. So we're going to be talking a lot about scaling a startup during this podcast, but from your experience, let's look a little bit in the, in the past. So obviously it was the pandemic, which Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, 
uh, we're allowed to swear on this podcast, fucked everything up for <laughs> business owners. Um, but also it accelerated a digital adoption yeah. that now before 2019, it was like, oh, does this social media thing actually work? But now it's, I need this social media thing. So we saw that kind of trend. But what other trends have you seen over the last like one year that are um, causing challenges for businesses during this time from a marketing perspective? I think the, the biggest challenge right now is just what's been going on uh, from an acquisition standpoint. The, the cost of advertising is so expensive. So you're actually seeing a lot of brands that were going heavy during COVID and spending a lot of money and, and generating a lot of sales from the money that they were spending. It was a beautiful time. If right. you started a business two years ago, good for you. <laughs> it's like you've accelerated, no problem. For anyone who's starting now, though, it is a different world. It is expensive. Um, the economy has changed. Consumers are pulling back how much they're spending. And also brands don't have as much money to spend. Um, the cost for shipping has increased. All different areas of your business have essentially been impacted by what's happening in the economy right now. So not just from a marketing standpoint, but from a business standpoint, it's very challenging for new brands. And so that's where you're seeing also people going back to the organics and, and the fundamentals of marketing and using social commerce and going back to TikTok and organically posting and building brand personas and founder personas that are creating communities that will then carry the message and the narrative of your business and your brand. Not to say that no one's advertising anymore. Everyone is. We all, all are experimenting on it, but it's not as simple as it was two years ago. Um, your CAC that may have been $2 or $5 back then is a lot more now. That's amazing. Well put. So um, for those that don't know that, well, that word CAC, what does yeah. that mean? It's basically your cost of acquiring a customer. So, can you explain that a little bit? Yes, I can. So you're essentially looking at how much your money you're spending. So let's say you're putting ads out on Meta and you're spending thousands of dollars, but your sales are netting out to be very low. And let's say I put $10 out and I only get one customer from that 10 bucks. That was the cost of acquiring that one customer. So $10. Yeah, like sim simplifying it in that yeah, way. Yeah. I mean, you can put $1,000 and get 10 customers and then you know what the cost is of that. Um, but essentially that's one of the big markers and things that I look at and suggest any brand founder or owner looking at is how much are you paying per person that's coming to your website? So for your traffic costs, as well as your cost of acquisition, and then, you know, what's your bounce rate? So for anybody that, that doesn't know, it's your bounce rate is essentially the number of people that leave. They get to your website. This isn't for me. They don't spend time on your site. They don't add anything to their cart and they bounce and they go somewhere else. And so um, as a marketer and as a strategist, you want to actually look at all the data points that are coming into your website. Where are people coming from? So how are they finding us? How much time are they spending? How many pages and products are they looking at while they're on our website? And then how much money are they spending in the end? And how much money did it cost me to get them to do all of that? Right. And was it worthwhile? And then the next part is, aside from just marketing, looking at your actual margins. So what's the percentage, what's the margin and the actual profit that you're going to make from each product sold? Because uh, we're seeing this a lot, actually, in the D2C space right now. You see these massive brands that you think are doing so well, and then you realize they spent $600,000 on ads and they only made $100,000. This is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we're going to see quite a shift over the next couple of years with how money is being spent in the D2C space and how founders are approaching um, their, their sales and their marketing. Well put. Um, yeah. So you mentioned something there, and I hear it a lot from our clients as well and from my network that the cost to acquire a new customer is 
progressively going higher and higher, especially on platforms like Meta and Twitter and LinkedIn and TikTok Mm -hmm. from a paid ads perspective. Why is that happening? Uh, There are many factors to that. Um, I think I'm trying to see how honest do I want to be about my feelings about these platforms. I want you to be extremely Uh, honest. Well, there's been a lot of, of pullback overall in in the industry, right? And there's been a lot of changes from from Apple and a lot of changes based on um, capturing customer information and and data. And so this effectively impacts how different platforms are charging for um, click-through, for traffic, for visibility. And so everything has just basically increased since this happened a couple of years ago. And so my advice to founders now is look at building a community, and I think this might be a question further on, but look at building a community around your brand of advocates that are so leaned into the product that you're building. They want to see you succeed as a founder. And so that you have this group of people that you can go to frequently for feedback, for advice, for polling of what product you should develop next so that you don't waste your time just putting out ads. Um, And then, you know, like when your funnel is is super small, you're not really going to get as much back from the money that you're spending. There's a lot of things you can do organically that are free that really just cost your time. Amazing. Thanks. Okay. So what's some channels that you're looking at right now and that are emerging that you think are really interesting? I I definitely don't think this is emerging, but TikTok is the biggest one right now. Um, I don't see anything else that's able to beat the volume of traffic that TikTok gives you. The algorithm is incredible. Even more recently with the organic content that you're posting, I'd say over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a dip in the views. So something's going on with their algorithm right now. They're playing around with it a little bit. But as long as you create content that has a smart hook that captures attention and you know how users on TikTok scroll and what type of information they're looking for, and you're able to sneak in some of your keywords because TikTok is more of a search engine right now. It's not Mm. just like it's not like a YouTube. Um, It's very different in how it works. And so TikTok is the main one that I suggest for everyone. If you're a new founder, go on TikTok, start talking about your products, start talking about who you are, build that story, build that narrative and see what the interest is and see if the algorithm is going to either love and support you or kick you to the curb and you you need to to refresh your strategy. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Do you use TikTok? I do. Yeah. I'm not. My problem with TikTok is that I go on to TikTok and then I'll start scrolling and then I'll look up and it was like an hour later. Yeah. It's dangerous. It's so very I try not dangerous. to, I try, I, I have a, a, like a, one of those like app limits on my, on my phone that stops me at 15 minutes. Yeah. I have the same. Yeah. Cause it's a dangerous platform. The only problem though is when you ignore that 15 minutes. <laughs> I do all the time. Cause I'm like, Oh, just five more minutes. Yeah. Five it's, more it's minutes. It's like a snooze button. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. Yeah. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so how is AI affecting you right mm-hmm. now as like a, a fractional CMO and how are you, how can you leverage it for, with your clients? I think AI is fantastic. I know that there, for, from some people, for some reason, there is some cautiousness and nervousness around AI. And I think from a marketing perspective and, uh, like a copywriting perspective, AI is fantastic. It, if you are, are stuck and you need to build a video or create a narrative about something, this is kind of like a buddy that I see in a way that, to collaborate with. You can go on there and, and ask any type of question. You can say, I'm thinking about this type of thing for this brand. Help me figure it out. Give me three bullet points that describes X, Y, and Z. 
depending on what your input is when you're using AI, you will get so much great information back and it saves you hours. And this isn't just for marketers, this is literally for anyone, even if you're building a pitch deck as a founder, you can go to the AI tools, ask specific questions, and it will even break down sometimes how you should set up your pitch deck. So it's it's really fascinating. I think it's wonderful for marketing. It's gonna, it's we're already seeing right now how it's accel accelerating social. So any content that's going on social, pretty much everyone that I know in the industry is using AI to create their content. In some way, shape, or form. Yeah, in right? some way. And if you're not, you know what? I hate to say it, but you're gonna get left behind uh -huh. because things are moving progressively faster and it's because of AI technology. And if you're not on it, you're gonna be that snail behind everybody else. So you're optimistic about AI? Yes. Bullish. Cool. Mm. Um, so what's your favorite like platform? Obviously, ChatGPT. Yeah. you have anyone, any other tools that you use right now? Yeah, so I know the guys from Copy AI, and I was using their product for the last couple of years, um, and I, I think it's great. There's even a new one called Copy copywriter.ai, but I think it's like a queue. Okay. Uh, that's another one that's really supportive and helpful. Again, this is just for like, just getting started uh, for content ideas, for writing ideas, even blog posts, it's great. Okay, amazing. Let's talk, uh, let's shift a little bit more to entrepreneurs and startups. So you work a lot with startups, I'm guessing, yes? Yes, I do. Um, what's the range in which you work with them till? Like from zero pre-funding mm -hmm. or do you have a certain benchmark? Yeah, I typically work with founders that are pre-seed to series A. So that's, that's where I work with them. Um, it's an interesting space to be in and it's a good space to be in because what I do is I go in and help them get their marketing from zero to one. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes these founders are very passionate. They have an idea or a vision of how they want their product to come to life and what the narrative should be. But the problem is actually bringing it to life. And so that's where I work with them. We bring in consumer insights, we bring in competitive insights, and then we help them refine what their vision and mission is. And then let's go into execution. All right. So right from the beginning, what does a startup's marketing team look like? Like what's the first hire that someone should make? Uh, that's a good question. It depends. Every startup is different, right? So some startups, the, one of the founders is a marketer. So that's great. <laughs> That'll be that person. Uh, what I often recommend now is bringing in someone who can do social media production. So they can create, they can shoot, they can edit, and then they can publish and they understand how to connect and build communities. That would be my first go-to because Sure, you want to bring someone in who can help you with your emails and who can help you with your, your channels and your funnels. But if you bring someone who can manage your content, that's essentially how you're going to get your sales. That's how mm -hmm. people see your product and, you know, through digital can experience your product before they make a purchase. And what is that usually called? I guess social media manager? Could be a social media manager, social producer, uh, even like a freelancer or an editor. I was going to ask, Great. like, is it better if that person's in-house or can someone get away with being a freelance? If you can afford to bring someone full-time, that's fantastic. If not, there are some incredible agencies, even in Toronto, there are really great social freelancers, and that's usually what I opt to work with. Okay. And um, then after that, now the, the company's starting to scale, we're moving, we have, uh, we have some revenue, maybe some product market fit. What does the team scale into from there? Yeah. Or what, what directions does a, a, a founder typically go? Yeah, for sure. So I think you start with that that core piece, building that community, building the brand and the experience through social, and then you can branch out and make sure that your emails are set up, right? So that's a really important piece. For example, we talked about bounce rates earlier. Anybody that comes to your website, let's say they don't complete a checkout and they leave the cart. 
send them an email. You need those email flows to be set up. So bringing someone in who understands that and understands how to build your funnel would be my next step. If you can bring them on mm. at the same time as the social person, that's great. Um, but there's a lot that gets missed, right? If, if someone buys a, a product, do you have your email flow ready so that maybe in a month from now or two months from now, you send them a reminder because they may have run out of your body scrub or whatever it is. Right. Um, making sure that you have that mapped out is an incredible thing for founders. It lets you then focus on operations and other part of your business that you should be running. Talk to me a little bit. Uh, tell me a little bit about building a funnel and what mm -hmm. that means to you for the people that you know don't necessarily understand what a marketing funnel might look like. Sure. So your marketing funnel and um, your email or your CRM system essentially helps you to understand where your customers are coming in from. And the reason why we call it a funnel is because at the very top, you're getting a lot of people that are going to come to your website. They're going to build awareness about your product. And you basically are taking them from that level of awareness down to consideration and then to making the purchase, which is the sale. And so in order for us to do that, we have to understand, you know, number one, what's the frequency? How often does someone need to be exposed to my brand and my product before they actually make a sale or they want to buy? It could be a frequency of three per week. It could be two per week, et cetera. But we need to understand their behaviors as consumers. Once we have that and we start to navigate on our website and we're looking at the pages that are the most popular, the products that get the most click through or the most time spent on them, then you can start to build out, okay, these are these, you know, these two here look like my star products. How do I then take them through social, take them through email, and then continue to promote those products and get people to the consideration stage before getting them to purchase? So your funnel is really, like I said, your awareness, your consideration, and then your purchase at the bottom. And then what we often do is then we like flip that funnel and we say, now that they've purchased, how do we retain them? How do we get that repeat purchase? How do we get them to write us a review? And there's really, now I'm getting super deep into it, but it, it just expands into a much bigger end-to-end -end marketing funnel than just trying to get them to the sale. Because once you get them to the sale, that's great. You won, but now what? Yeah, right. I feel like many people forget about that last part. Yeah. And, and another thing as well, I'm, I'm currently working with a client in the reverse logistics space, so they're more B2B, but we look a lot at the return rates for these D2C brands and online businesses. And one thing founders forget about often is that, you know, potentially 20% of your sales could end up in returns. So from an operations perspective, how are you managing that from customer service? How are you managing that? Interesting. Okay. So um, I wanted to also ask about, obviously you could uh, hire people in-house. Yep. You can hire freelancers, you can hire agencies. What's the pros and cons of all three of those? I and, and like, when should, when do you advise on uh, the people that you work with to use each option? So I usually go for the freelancers first, because I think that's the best way you bring people in that have experience working on multiple different brands. They understand how this all works and mm -hmm. they know where to come in, especially the freelancers and people that I work with. They come in, we can say, we need to do X, Y, and Z. They understand the task. They've done it for 50 other brands they're very fast, efficient, and they're great. And they also bring really good ideas because they're so tapped into what's happening in the market. Um, that's, because they're I think, able the to see patterns with other clients that they're working with, yeah. et cetera. Absolutely. They have visibility into what's going on. And so that's why I love working with the freelancers. Um, agencies, I think, are good when you're at a, if you have the cash flow, let's just say it that way. If you have the cash flow and you're starting a brand and you're like, hey, I have $60,000 that I can put into a brand agency that's going to help me get this thing off the ground. 
that's great. But a lot of founders are bootstrapped and they don't have investors and they haven't done a friends and family round. And so they can't spend that kind of money. Yeah. Cause so. agencies are way more expensive than freelancers typically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's how I differentiate. I usually go the freelancer route. And then if you have the funding to hire someone full time, that's great too, because when you bring someone full time, they will essentially give you more. Um, they're more dedicated, hopefully <laughs> to your business and, and your product and you can grow with them and they will be a team member and hopefully you can get them to a place where they're doing such great work that you give them equity and they, they're there for the long run. But I, that's how I separate them. And my first step is always let's go with the freelancers if that's what you can afford. Got it. Perfect. Yeah, because I, I, I see that like freelancers can go really narrow and niche into mm-hmm. like a specific task or responsibility that you need where um, an in-house person can go more like General, uh, general, and also just like full time kind of thing. Like they are dedicated to you, and then agencies have like the resources that you could scale up, scale down, and like go wide. Um, but there's pros and cons to each of them, and depending on what stage you're at or what you're looking for, yeah. you vary which one you're going to use. For sure. Okay, so I got this question recently. I wanted to ask you it. Mm-hmm. So, what's the magic sauce between? When a company starts, they're obviously looking for short-term revenue, right? But then there's this thing called branding, which is like long-term, right? What's the balance between short-term customer acquisition and long-term branding that a startup should be focusing on? Well, I, I definitely lean toward the brand side. So I think brands should be integrated in everything that you do because that's essentially how people experience your, your business and your product. Um, you could have... And I've seen this, like you can have a very genetic, generic product or a juice, but if your brand is amazing and people love it and they want to support it and the founders are cool and there's a story there, think about Midday Squares. They're making chocolate. I just saw the Midday Squares guy last night. Which one? Uh, The one that always wears sunglasses and is eccentric. (laughs) I forget his name. Carl, I I think, or something. Yeah. I saw him at this event that I went to that Valentina bailed on, didn't come. And uh, and he showed up with sunglasses on at nighttime. He's very like, but everyone knows him for that. That's his brand. Right? When he showed up, I was like, I know you. You're the Midday Squares guy. And he's like, yeah, I am. And then he just like was talking to me for like five, <laughs> ten minutes about like yeah. what he's doing right now. And he's doing this like um, like this talking tour across Canada. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we know him from that. And like I think that's a great example of building oh, yeah. a brand. Um, but that's not easy to do. That isn't. And I think that's his personality. Like I could not walk around with my hair all over the place with like these cool glasses and just like be jumping around. Like I've seen some of their videos and he's like, he's a personality, but that's his brand. My brand is different. And so I think as founders, you need to understand what is your brand? What's your story? Midday Squares is killing it. And they're someone that I, I look at their content quite often because they take you behind the scenes. They show you when they're all crying and they've had a hard time and they show you mm-hmm. about like the passion and how they treat their team. And it's, it's really interesting how they've been able to take the brand and, and build that, but they're also still killing it. Right. I think they sold a hundred million or 10 million chocolate bars or something. So Insane. they're, they are, they're killing it and they're Canadian. And I think that's, what's really exciting. And so I'm all for get your brand in order because unless you're just planning on selling like mugs on Amazon, who cares, right? It's it's a functional product. People need mugs as long as they're cute. They'll buy them for the cheapest price. Mm-hmm. But if you're actually trying to create a story and, and a vision for a product and you're trying to disrupt an industry, you need brand from the very beginning. It's true. 
Um, one thing that I want to just uh, ask a little bit of a follow-up to that is to build brand from the beginning, what's an approach that a startup can take when they're so, most entrepreneurs are, we need revenue, we need revenue, right? Or um, they're thinking about their product and how do we build our product, et cetera. Typically, I see that brand or brand building is put to the side mm-hmm. when we're they're so focused on developing a product to hit a milestone or to try and generate the most revenue possible in the short term, short term which usually is through like paid ads or like sales. Yeah. How do you hone them back and say brand is important when there's these other priorities? Yeah, this, uh, this is a really great question because this happens quite often, right? There's also that um, as a business, you need to make sales. That's why you're in business, right? Otherwise, you could just, you know, spend your day at the beach. Um, <laughs> so definitely when it comes to brand, I think it needs to be woven into all areas of what you're doing. If you, for example... I have a body care brand and we're very yellow and that's, that's our branding and it goes across everything. It is something that identifies us that you, when you see it, you connect it with who we are. And so this is a very early foundational step. It doesn't even need to take too much time where it's just like, let's answer a few questions. Sometimes I do this with founders on like a a page where we talk about like, what do we stand for? What are we trying to do? What's the brand? What do we want to say? How are we bringing it to life? What do we feel like? What's our personality? Great. That's like a, it could be a 30 minute exercise as long as everyone in the room agrees on the direction that we're taking this and what the brand means. And from that, then you just take it into a space where it becomes more visual. So like creatively, how does this come to life? If you're talking about, they spend so much time building these products. Well, if the products aren't visually appealing, packaging and design is such a big part of selling in the D2C space. If that doesn't match up to your brand, it feels a bit dysfunctional and that cohesiveness is not there. So if we can just take one step back, finalize a few things that founders may not be thinking about, then we can take three steps forward. And while you're doing your ads, no one's telling you to pause them. While you're doing your ads, let's just update the assets and the creative. Let's update how we talk about the products. Let's go back to some of the consumer insights and see why customers would actually want to buy your product at this particular price point. What's so special about it? Put it in those ads. Put it in your TikToks. All of this ties back to branding. And I think Oftentimes there's a misconception that branding is just like the pretty ribbon on on top of what you're doing. But if you think about it in the right way and in a strategic way, it actually can impact everything from how your customer service responds in their emails as part of your branding to what your ads look like. Yeah, 100%. I think what you said there about sometimes you just have to take one step back and not be so eager to just get going. And that'll actually save you a lot of time and money in the long run. Absolutely. All right. So a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs. Let's shift gears to some entrepreneurship tips, tricks that you might have as you probably work mainly with the founders of the uh, companies that you advise on, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what are some challenges that you've seen entrepreneurs facing over the last two years that you've been working in the space um, in scaling a company from like one to three people to 10 people plus? There's a lot there. Um, I think it comes down to communication being everything. So if you're a founder and you're used to just talking to these two people and now you have seven more people, it can become overwhelming very quickly if you don't have the proper, and I hate to say this, but like the proper hierarchy in place. Hmm. So as the founder, who are like the three people that are your core team and then who do they support and who reports into them? Oftentimes when you're in a small team, you're used to being like, well, I want to make decisions about every piece of the business and I want to hear about everything that's going on. Yeah, I've seen that. And you don't need to do that and you have to learn as a founder when to let go 
the whole point of hiring people is to bring people on that are better at doing things than you are so that you don't have to worry about those things. And if you don't feel that you can trust someone with the things that you're asking them to do, then you might have hired the wrong person. Right. Either that or maybe you need some self-work. But, <laughs> but really, this is, this is what you see happening a lot. And so it comes down to communication and planning. And the reason why I say those two things is because you pivot really quickly in startups. You may try something and, and you realize, oh, shit, we've been doing this for a little while. This actually isn't working. It's broken. We now need to pivot. If you're not an excellent communicator and you can't share these changes to your team, it can affect all different areas of your business. Yeah, 100%. I think that like it's also back to the point on brand. It's really easy to share or um, percolate the company's mission and vision when I've been there, yeah. when you're in the room and there's three employees that you have and you're all in the same room that you could just like talk to them. Yeah. But as you start to expand and it gets to 10 people plus, you really need to have a strong brand, like you're saying, mm -hmm. um, established so that everyone can see that through. Um, but communication itself becomes more difficult the bigger your company gets. Yeah. So what are some characteristics that you see in leaders and founders that make them get through that, you know, 10 person plus uh, growth phase um, successfully? Yeah, I think it, the confidence of the founder in the product is really important. Um, not saying that founders can't have imposter syndrome. Most founders I know do <laughs> because they know they're not superheroes, but they are so confident about their product and their mission and what they're doing that they're, they're laser focused. And so that helps them to maintain the vision because that's your job as a founder. Maintain the vision for the company and bring everybody else along and get them to buy in on that vision. And how do you do that? Proper communication, proper training. If you need training, oftentimes founders do. And so that's where they hire coaches as well to help them figure out what are their blind spots and how they can improve as a leader. I have a business coach. He's yeah. been with me for uh, two and a half years now. There you go. And he's like so important to me. He's like 60 years old, wise mm -hmm. man, gets me on like a values level, but also has been there with business. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty true. useful. Well, if you think about it, people have um, trainers to take care of their body. They have therapists to take care of their mind and their emotions. And why wouldn't you have a coach to help you with your business? It just makes sense. Yeah. hundred percent. Have you ever worked with a business coach or someone like that? I have, I have, I don't have one right now. So if anybody <laughs> knows someone that would be great, but yeah, I, I've seen the impacts of it that they can really help you, um, organize your thoughts and your strategy and also to see your own blind spots of how you can improve your business. Agreed. Like even the best, uh, I used to have a mentor when I was younger and in my early 20s when I first got started out. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, even Sidney Crosby has a hockey coach, yeah. right? So, and he's like, back then he was the best in the he world. He was, yeah. And he's still really good, but <laughs> yeah. like back then he was so dominant. And um, so even if he has a coach, there's no reason why, even if you think that yeah. you're a really good and competent entrepreneur, that you can't have oh, one. Oh, yeah. Even Tony Robbins has a coach. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Even I coaches have coaches. Yeah. Even coaches have, even psychologists have psychologists. So yeah. that's okay. Um, do you have any tips or thoughts on balancing work and life as a founder, working with so many of them and being one yourself? Mm -hmm. I think one of the, the biggest things is the inability to shut off. That's the biggest problem. Um, and I also think that when you're an entrepreneur, it's a very lonely thing. So Number one, build a community with other people that are also doing similar things to you so that you have people that can relate to you. If you're an entrepreneur right. and you're going to your friends that have a nine to five or work for the government, they have no idea what you're going through and they can't empathize with you in the way that you're looking for. So 
for in order for founders to have a healthy life, I think it's important to also have friends or coaches or people in your network that you can go to for advice so that you feel like someone else has your back and understands like the pains that you're going through. But it also then enables you to shut your brain off when you're with your family, with your friends, right. when you're on vacation, which is a big problem. Very difficult to do myself included. Yeah. Like after a long day of work, it's hard for me to just be like, oh, okay, all that's gone or whatever. Or when I'm on vacation, extremely difficult to just yeah. like not check my emails or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, do you have any tricks that you use yourself in doing that? Yeah. So I, well, number one, I have like community of people that I go to for advice as, as my sanity check, which is good to have. But then I also allot times where I have to be off of my phone and sleep is really important. People don't realize this. They'll work till one in the morning, then they mm -hmm. wake up at five and you only had four hours of sleep. You're not going to function well. You're not going to think clearly and you're not going to make good decisions. So I myself have certain structures in place where I have to be off my phone by a certain time. I will either read a book, I will journal, or I will do a puzzle. Puzzles are amazing. I started doing a puzzle in the wintertime. I sleep so well after huh. 15 minutes of right? doing a that puzzle. That definitely like takes your focus as well. So you could just totally be in the zone. That's a good idea. Yeah. I might do that. It's, it's really helpful. And so those are things that I do for myself because like you, if I don't do those things and I'm up on my phone till 11 and I'm thinking and I don't end up sleeping well, and then it affects me the next day and, and nobody wants that. You want to have a good, fresh start to your day. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um, how about uh, in regards to like relationships and stuff? You're married. Do you have any tips or thoughts on how to be mm -hmm. able to balance that uh, when you're a founder or entrepreneur yourself? Yeah, and this goes even before being married. Is find the right partner. You need to find someone who is understanding of how you want to live your life. You need to find a partner who is supportive, who gets you, and who can grow with you. And I think that mm -hmm. that's really important. Having a, a partner that is kind of, is like your co-founder in life. Is this right. person the right person? Do you want to grow things with this person? Are you guys going to accelerate together? So when you have a good partner, everything else is a lot easier. If you have a difficult partner and you have a difficult work life, it's going to be, you know, recipe for disaster. So I always say before you commit to someone, just make sure that they are the right partner. They get it. They have your back. They understand that they need to be there for you when you can't be there for yourself. I love that. So true. Um, okay, uh, I wanted to ask, what's a, who's a founder, maybe someone you've worked with or someone you've seen in the space that really impressed you over the last like 12, 24 months and why? I think the first person that comes to my mind is, well, there's two. Okay, so I'll start with the you first one. You could go one. with two. I'd love that. More yeah. stories, the better. I love good founder yeah. stories. Two female founders as well. Even better. Um, so one of them is Baba, who's the founder of Ceremonia. It's a um, Latin heritage clean hair, hair care brand. Okay. And so she started during the pandemic. She used to work at Uber before, and she's been running her business over, over two years. She just closed a Series A, and she's really creating her own path. She's really created excellent products that are clean, so you feel good about putting these products on your hair and your body. She's killing it. She's from New York. And then a Canadian that I often think is, is amazing, and I'm, I'm, I'm totally following her journey so closely, is Karen, the founder of Bloom. So they do the yes. superfood lattes. Yes, and she right. has exploded over the last four or five years since she started. And what I really admire about Karen is her openness about this journey that she's been on. I mean, she even shared her pitch deck. Uh, she posted it online. I've actually and was like, seen it. Yeah, yeah that's it's right. great. It's amazing. So she's, she's very open. She is a great leader. And I think her product is really disruptive. So. Yeah. I, 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 one thing that I've, uh, that I like about how you speak and the mm -hmm. things that you value is that, uh, you always bring it back to Canada, which is great. I think 
Uh, Canadians need to really uh, support each other more in accelerating our growth as a Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship ecosystem. Um, So that's amazing. We need more people like you, uh, like kind of like cheering on Canada around (laughs) here. So respects to that. Um, Okay, so we will uh, wrap shortly, but I just have two more questions for you. Let's do it. First one is where can people find you, connect with you online? Um, Just look up Rochelle Hariri, R-A-S-H-E-L-H-A-R-I-R-I, online, anywhere. So my website is RochelleHariri.com, and I'm Rochelle Hariri on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Amazing. And TikTok. And TikTok. (laughs) I was just going to both ask, and TikTok. (laughs) Yeah. All right, last question. I ask this to everybody who comes on the podcast. Um, And uh, feel free to take as long as you'd like to explain it, because the more in-depth, probably the better. Um, So what is one piece of wisdom that you wish you knew much sooner? Uh, this is a good one. I I think it just comes down to nobody cares what you're doing. Nobody cares what you're doing. So just do whatever you want. No one's sitting there thinking about your failures or what you're not good at. Just do the things that you want to do, do them sooner rather than later and realize that, you know, today we're sitting here in this moment. We're having this conversation. No one else is thinking about us. (laughs) We're in this room. And I think that holds a lot of people back. And it also creates a lot of imposter syndrome when it's totally unnecessary Stay in your own lane, focus on your vision, and start as soon as you have an idea. I'm a strong believer that if an idea comes to you, it was meant for you, and you should take that idea and run with it. And the less you care what other people think, um, the more successful you'll be in life. Did you have an issue with that uh, as you were growing? Yeah, I think definitely in, in my career, I always felt like I had to make the right move and do the right things and create these amazing campaigns. And... It was so much of what I was doing in the corporate world. And then I realized one day, like, I don't care. And no one else cares. Do you remember that (laughs) moment and Uh, what triggered it? I think this, so this happened earlier on. I think it was while I was at McDonald's and we were working on some really big campaigns and we were in a meeting room and we were, we were like working late and doing all these things. And then I just had this moment where I'm like, you know, who, who cares? Like I'm doing this for myself. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm putting the time It's not for anything else or anybody else. It's for my growth. It's for my learning and for my career. And then I kind of used that and carried it forward as I went into Shopify and then did my own thing because I feel like that's what actually stops people sometimes. If you're in a nine to five job, but you have a vision of creating this brand and you're so scared to take the leap because you think people are going to tell you you're crazy. You have a stable job. Why are you quitting? What are you doing? You need to cancel out the noise and just do what's right for you. It's amazing. I was funny because just like three nights ago, I was just like lying on my couch and I was thinking about that exact thing. I was like, the more I get older, the more I care less about what other people think. It's so nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird, crazy because <laughs> yeah. you care so much about that as well, as you're younger. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a point where you totally don't give a fuck at all it's, when you're like 70 years old. It's the best. Yeah. I'm in my 30s. I'm in my mid 30s and I don't care. And I can't wait until I'm in my 40s because I know I'm going to care even less. <laughs> Amazing. That's a good way to wrap this. I thank you so much for coming on. You're full of energy and passion and insight. Really, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.